there's power in Jesus' name. And uh, as believers, many times we profess a lot of things, but do we really believe? And um, I always think it's amazing when the Spirit's working in a body of believers how uh, he meshes things together. The devotion today went, went perfectly with uh, my message today, and we're going to be in 1 John um, 3, 10 through 15. Um, and the songs even go there. And as we, uh, as we talk about things, when we say that there's power in Jesus' name and do we really believe it, the question, you know, is do we believe in God to do big things? Do we believe that God can still do miracles today? And the miracles that I'm talking about are relational because that's what John is talking about here in our Christian walk. There's many times when uh, I try to look at the big picture, I really try to see You know, what could God do that would bring him glory? And many times in talking with others, maybe I hear, well, that will never happen. That's not going to be. And the question is, is why isn't that going to be? And I think a lot of times it's our perception, it's our attitude, it's our willingness to yield it all to him. And so as John's been going through this, he's really been giving us these self-tests of our walk, of our salvation even our relationship with God, are we truly right with God? Are we doing the things that he has called us to do? This morning we're going to talk um, about love and about hatred. And I want to focus more on love because love is really the imperative that John talks about. As a matter of fact, when I was reading through the scriptures, uh, studying for this, I happened just to read through the gospel of John and how many times... He said, love one another, love one another, love one another. This is what you're called to do, love one another. Increase your love, grow more and more. Peter talks about it, 1 Thessalonians also talks about it. The Bible, the Gospels, the New Testament is full of this love one another. And what does that look like in a, in a Christian's life? Because there's two things that Christians are, are, are pretty poor at. One is forgiveness, and one is loving one another. We don't think about that because we can love those that are like-minded with us. But what about those Christians um, that maybe don't see things quite the way we do or those Christians that have hurt us or maybe those Christians that we have, have hurt? John's talking about this imperative of love. And so I'm going to read um, again 1 John three ten through 15. We'll go on from there. It says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested or shown. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So sometimes we get this perception of love and hate. And love is, oh, we're all cuddly, we're we're friends, we're smiley, um, feelings, good feelings that are going on. And we think of hate as maybe something that's that's very... um, uh, 
egregious against somebody. When you hate somebody, there's, again, feelings that dwell up in these things. And, you know, God even tells us in our hearts, and this is why we always rely on Scripture. Scripture needs to be the primary focus of us all the time because our hearts, the Bible says, are deceitfully wicked. Who can even know his own heart? God knows our heart. Our feelings can lead us astray in this world. Many times our emotions move us this way and that way, and and we say things and we do things out of the emotion because we've been moved, we've been hurt, we've been wounded. We always need to go back to what the scripture talks about. So this hatred that can be in our life sometimes can be very subtle. It may not be this egregious act against somebody, but it might be an attitude, something that we're holding on to, bitterness, resentment, jealousy. Hatred can be a lot of things in just the way that we treat people, but the main thing that we need to look at today is that hatred is an attack on our relationship with God. So we say, search me, O God, and try me. Reveal any evil way in me. If I have the wrong attitudes, if I have the wrong perception, if I have the wrong understanding, Lord, show me those things so I can deal with those things, because I don't want my relationship with you to be hindered. We walk around life many times thinking that we can have this glorious relationship with God and still be at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But John says that's not the case. If you're at odds with a brother and sister, if you are having feelings of, of, of hatred, and you know it's, it's sort of a black and white thing, right? either love or you hate, there is no real middle ground of this. If we have this in our life, it's not just affecting our relationship with others, it's affecting our relationship with God. And that's the ultimate reason why we do the things we do. So we talk about two essential things. Righteous conduct and love of the brethren. Verse 10 talks about. So we have a righteous conduct. We have the way that we live, the way that we treat people. And all this stems from inside of us but then also love for the brethren. And I want to ask you, do you love the brethren? Well, who's the brethren? Is it just us that are sitting here? You know, they asked in the Bible, you know, who's your neighbor? Is it the one that lives across the street? Is it this one or that one? Well, when it talks about brethren, it's those that are in Christ. It's fellow believers. And many times, even as Christians, we begin to attack one another. We begin to, uh, many times as hyenas and jackals do. They'll eat their own sometimes. We shouldn't have that. So he talks about the children of God and the children of the devil. And John has already introduced over the last couple sermons about this being a child of God. And we should be, man, just elated that we are called children of God. We are grafted into his vine. We are adopted. We are fully his. He is our father in heaven. What a wonderful thing. He's written of some about being of the devil. If you look back at 1 John uh, 3.8 last week, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, and for this is the purpose of the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we know that there are also those that are of the devil. But John doesn't really spend any time really trying to prove the existence of the devil. A lot of people today don't believe in Satan. The devil, the Antichrist, the little Antichrist, they don't believe in those things. John doesn't spend a lot of time on that because it's, it's a biblical fact. 
We don't need to get into a lot of this because we know what the Bible says about these things, and John did too. Some people think John might be too harsh in this world today to talk about people being children of the devil. Does he love the way that Jesus loves? Is that something appropriate to say? Maybe some people didn't think that he loved the way that Jesus loved. But do you realize that Jesus also talked about people being called children of the devil? As a matter of fact, just back in the Gospel of John, he, uh, John 8, he talks about that. Jesus does. In 841, uh, on it says, And you do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, If you were, uh, we were born... For we were not born for, fornic for, for fornication, we have the Father God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come from myself, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my words. You are of your father the devil, and he desires that your and, and the desires of your father and what he wants you to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he goes on to talk about that. So Jesus talks about being a child of the Satan, of the devil. And so we know that Jesus came as light. We are here as beacons of light. We are to share that gospel message to get people out of that. You're one of two families, either the family of God or the family of Satan. So if you're born again, and if you have God as your father, it's going to show not only in your nature, your new nature as being born again, but it's also going to be your destiny. It's going to be the destiny that you walk in. We tend to walk in our father's shadows, right? You ever seen little children when they grow up? And, and uh, I see this all the time now that I'm getting older and I see these men that have grown up and, and I knew their parents. And I look at them and I, and I can maybe hear the way that they talk sometimes. Some families have certain phrases they use or inflections in their voice. And you can say, boy, you're just like your father. That can be good or it can be a bad thing, but sometimes they say that. Oh, you look just like your father. You act just like your father. It can be the other way around too, mother, so understand that. But those that we spend a lot of time with, we sort of get those characteristics. And so when we become children of God and we spend time in his word, we spend time in prayer, we spend time in fellowship, the natural instinct is that it should show in our new nature. Christ should be just pouring out of us, oozing over. My cup runneth over with the Holy Spirit in my life to show others by example. Not the righteousness that I have because my righteousness is nothing, but the righteousness of Christ that comes through us. And he talks about this. But if your father is Satan or of Adam, if you're still of the flesh, that also shows in your nature. And it's also going to become your destiny. So it talks about our, our manifest, our shown. These things are, are manifest in our life. In this, the, ch the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. This is how we can stand back and look. And again, when we make judgments, we're not making judgments as to a person's salvation. Actually, the Bible, I think when it talks about this, is it's saying, look at yourself. Look at your attitude. Look at the way that you're walking. Look at the things that you're doing. Are you doing the things of God? Is that showing forth in your life? Or are you doing evil things and harboring wrong things? And are those showing forth in your life? 
But even as other Christians, we can look at people, we can sort of make distinctions. God does give us that ability to discern those things. And so John gave a simple, but yet it's, it's not really an easy way to really detect these things or identify the children of God and the children of the devil. And what is he says, whoever does not practice righteousness. Now whenever we talk about doing things, people say, well, we don't need to do these things to be saved. That's true. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest anyone can boast. But God has created us for good works. God has created us that his works would shine forth through us. So we do the works that we do because of salvation, not for salvation. So when we look at these things in our life, we're going to ask ourselves, are you practicing righteousness? What does that mean? Are you doing what is right? Are you living right? Are your thoughts right? And by right, I mean according to God's word. Because in my life, I can have a lot of right thoughts. I can have a lot of things that I can try to justify in my life. But righteousness is according to God's word. According to the leading of his Holy Spirit. So John says the first thing he says is this. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does he who does not love his brother. Well, what is love? Again, we can look at a lot of avenues of love. And we're probably going to look at that a little closer next week. But love can be a lot of things. The Bible talks about uh, three main ones, four, that can be in the Bible. But what does that look like between believers? Well, read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not going to read it for you. You can read through it this week. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more next week. But it talks about love being patient, being kind. All the characteristics are, are, of love are there. It takes away and it strips us down from our, our selfishness and our own self-righteousness. It strips all those things away. And it really paints this picture of who Jesus is. So Jesus left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. So we know that whoever does not practice righteousness, whoever does not love his brother, the Bible says, the scriptures say, is not a child of God, but a child of Satan. Because both of these are essential. I want you to think about that, that both those characteristics of righteousness and of love are essential. Because if you practice righteousness without love, so we can be legalistic, we can be harsh, we can be accurate as far as the Bible goes, but we're not exercising those in love. So we're practicing righteousness without love. The Bible says you're a Pharisee. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Oh, you brood of vipers. You deceive yourself. Jesus was hard on the Pharisees because they, they had this form of godliness, but they denied the power. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of love, the power of God in their life. And if you exercise love without righteousness or not according to God's word, you're just participating in the evil that goes on in this world. You need them both to work together to have that that example of what Christ was. Because if we have love without righteousness, and that's what the world says, oh, God loves everybody. Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's this. Everybody's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. We just need to love, 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 love. But we need to love in righteousness. We need to love according to God's word. We need to love what Jesus loves. We need to love what God says is important to love. And here he's saying we need to love the brethren. 
We are never to love at the expense of righteousness. We never forsake God's word just to say that we're loving, because that's not right. And we are never to be righteous at the expense of love, because that's not right. We need to make sure that they are both working together. And so sometimes that means we got to sit back, we need to study the words, we need to be in prayer, we need to lock this, this thing that gets us in so much trouble, right? Doesn't my shoe fits in here a lot of times, right? Because we are reactionary people, we're emotional people, and if there's a thought there, we need to say it, we want to say it, and, and, and we move on these things, and we need to sit back, and we need to wait for the hand of God to instruct us. We need to say what God wants us to say. We need to be in that right frame of mind. There are things that go on in our life sometimes that just move us dramatically. I remember I did a, a child's funeral one time. And I didn't understand it, and I was upset. This was a young family that was coming to our church. The child was three years old, had gotten out of its car seat, and then there was a, an accident, and the child was killed, died a, a few days later. And I wrestled with God with this because the mother was saved. We were working on the father and sharing the gospel. He was getting a little bit involved, and all of a sudden, here comes this tragic thing that goes on. And my emotions were were anger towards God. My emotions were raw. Why, God? Why did you have to do this? You didn't have to allow this to happen. Why didn't something else happen? But you know, as I always say, I know when I'm feeling that way, when I'm thinking that way, I know that I'm wrong. And I know that God's word's right. And even though I have those, what I call real discussions with God, I'm always saying, Lord, you need to show me, you need to change my heart because this is where I'm at right now. But the rest of my walk, for the people that were watching, they didn't know about that inward struggle that was going on in my life. I was projecting what God would have me to do. I was walking in righteousness. I was walking in what I knew was truth, even though my mind wasn't there, even though my emotions weren't there. And God brought me to that point through prayer, through scriptures, through talking with others, to where I came to an understanding more of it. See, we can be moved. It would have been easy for me to go around and talk about God shouldn't allow this God, and, and shared all those things in that heat of that moment. But God says many times we need to, to lock this, and we need to search out righteousness, and we need to act in love. And as I got into the scriptures, I could see the love of God and the understanding of God. I still don't know why it had to happen. I'll never know this side of glory. I don't need to know. God knows. God is all-knowing. But God brought me to a peace in my heart about it. A peace to where I could understand it and accept it. Because I knew that what I was feeling and the emotions were wrong. Many times we work off of our emotions. We may even give God ultimatums or other people ultimatums in our Christian walk because we're hurt and we're moved and we're not understanding. We're never to love at the expense of righteousness. And we're never to be righteous at the expense of love. Real love is the greatest righteousness, and real righteousness is really the greatest love. And those two really cannot be separated. 
Not God's love, anyways. We'll talk about that next week, the agape love. Because love and righteousness are perfectly displayed in the character of Jesus Christ. You want to know how to live, I always just say, read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see how Jesus walked. You see how he treated people. Because how we love and how we live really matters to God. This thing about coming to the altar, giving your life to Christ, and continuing to live in whatever manner that you want to, and thinking that, you know, well, I'm saved, and God will understand. How we live and how we love and how we treat others really matters before God. Verse 12, he gives us this example of hatred. It says, not as Cain. We all know Cain. It says, he was wicked and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. John presents Cain who was not right with God. He wasn't right with God. We, we can read this all through Genesis. There were two children. And one killed the other. The Bible tells us if we're children of God, we should have love for one another. These two children, Cain and Abel, were raised in the same family. we got to believe that they were raised in the, you know, in the faith. But one chose not to listen. One chose not to follow God. Cain's disobedience, I really believe, as you read through, came from a lack of faith. I think Hebrews 11 talks about that. He had a lack of faith in God. Do we have a lack of faith in God in our lives? Do we have a lack of faith that say, God cannot do this? God cannot restore these relationships? God cannot heal these divisions? That God cannot create in these people new hearts? If you were to ask most of the people that knew me post 22, 23 years old, they would have said, that guy's never coming to Christ. That guy God isn't going to use. They would have said, you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. And I wasn't, I just didn't go to church, but I lived the life. I lived the life that I wanted to live. I did the things that I wanted to live. He was disobedience in his lack of faith. I want to tell you that today many Christians have a lack of faith in believing that God can do things, and so we don't even try. We don't even try to heal. We don't even try to restore because we have a lack of faith. That ain't never going to happen. God's never going to do that. So for Cain, it first came as disobedience, but then it came into hatred. It was based in pride, Genesis 4 would tell us. John told us in the beginning of, of the little epistle here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So we see that Cain also had this pride issue. He was jealous of his brother, Abel. Cain's disobedience and hatred made him miserable. You ever know that as, as a believer, somebody that knows about God, when you're not walking the way that God has you to, you're just miserable in your life. Things just aren't right. They're just not clicking. They're, they're, it just seems like there's turmoil all the time. Now listen, as believers, we're going to have battles in this life. We're going to have struggles in this life. I mean, Satan's busy with this too. But as a Christian, as a believer, we all always know that, you know, though I walk through this valley, God has something better on the other side. 
God will see me through this, for he is with me. Right? Psalms 23, by the way, isn't for the dead, it's for the living. His rod and his staff, you know, they strengthen me. I can do all things through Christ. So we know that when we face these trials and these things in our life, we know God is with us. But when we are disobedient to God, when we're not listening to him, when we're not trying to do what it is that he has commanded us to do, and we're not living the way that he wants us to do, we're miserable. Cain was a miserable individual because he wasn't heeding what God had to say. He refused the warning that God gave him. God does that. That's his love for us. He gives us warnings. He gives us these signs. He he gives us his word that, that we can see these things. And he gave in to hatred. And his hatred led to action. And his action led to death. I want you to think about that in our lives and the relationships that we have with other believers. You know, we call ourselves a church, and we are a church. This is our our church family. But this is a little pod of the larger church. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the place. Do you have something against them? Are you not listening to God? Is it it infringing on your life? Is it making you miserable? Is it getting worse? Cain also became evasive about his sin. He tried to hide from God. He tried to hide his sin. Don't we do that in our lives as believers? We become evasive. We don't want to be accountable to anybody. We sort of hide in our sin and and we try to hide it. But God says what? He found him out. Genesis 4, 9 and 10. He found him out. New Testament tells us your sin will seek you out. You're not going to have peace with God when you're at war with God. And the only way we have peace with God is to submit fully to what he has for us. And so he goes on to say in verses 13 through 15 this. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. For we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He said, well, I've never murdered anybody. Remember Jesus when he talked about the sins and, and the righteousness that we can have on the outside? I've never had an affair. But if you've lusted after somebody in your mind, you've committed adultery. I've never murdered anybody. It says you call somebody a fool in your heart, you've murdered them. See, God gets right to the heart of things, which is our heart. He looks on the inside. We're pretty good at cleaning up the outside. We're pretty good sometimes at, at fooling everybody that's around us. But it says out of the heart proceeds the issues of life. Are we like King? It says, do not marvel. You know, we really shouldn't be surprised when we're walking the way that God would have us to walk and according to his word and in living by the standard that God has given us. We shouldn't really be surprised when we're at odds against the world or as it says, the world hates us. We're sort of a, a, a conflict to them, right? We're sort of this mirror that says, you know, sin and righteousness. We shouldn't be surprised about that in the world, but we should be surprised 
when there is hatred and there is discord and there is a lack of love in the body of Christ. That's a disease. Disease, if you break it down, is dis-ease. We're miserable. That shouldn't be. And it says we should be making every effort possible to get rid of that. We know. We know in our life what God would have us to do. We know what it is that we should be doing, that we should be working for. We see the big picture. We got the whole puzzle. And he says, do your part. Fill in your peace. Make yourself right with God. It says that if he has called us to it, he will see us through it. There's all these little phrases that we got, right? They're biblical phrases. If God calls you to something, he's going to see you through. If God gives you a desire and a passion for something, he can do it. If God is laying upon your heart that this is what his word says he wants to be done, he says he can do it. But we are the pieces of the puzzle that need to be fitted together. And the only way that we can fit together is when Christ is in the center, when he is working together in us. He tells us that we can come to this place of genuine assurance in our life as he gives us these self-tests. He says you can pass from death to life. That's sort of backwards from what the world is, right? Most of the world says, I'm living and I'm waiting to pass into death when I die. Jesus flipped it around. He says we can pass from death to life. There was a movie a long time ago called The, the Green Mile. I don't know if you ever watched it, but anyways, they had this, this thing, that they were all on death row. They'd always say, dead men walking, dead men walking. You know, that's the world without Christ. You can look and you can see the busyness that's out there. You can see people going this way and that way, involved in this, involved in that. We get so overwhelmed in our life with busyness sometimes, but for those without Christ in their life, they're just dead men walking. He says, you can pass from death to life. That's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He can turn it around in our life. And it speaks to our pursuit of fellowship. Making people feel and know that they are valued and loved. That God has a purpose in their life and a plan for them. That it doesn't matter what they did yesterday. Today is a new day. And God can give them that hope and that salvation. If we love the brethren, we will want to be with them. That speaks to fellowship. Churches today are filled with people that just see each other on Sundays. Oh, see you next week. We might even do that here when we leave. See you next week. See you next week. What's your pursuit of, of fellowship? Do you desire to be with brothers and sisters in Christ? I know we can't all see each other through the week. It'd be sort of awkward, sort of weird. But we should be desiring to be with fellowship with other Christians, right? Even if we've been battered. Even if we've been bruised by Christians, other believers. Even if we've been hurt by unloving brethren. Our desire, there's something in us that God has put in us that there's still something in there that says, I desire to be a part of this family. I desire to come back to fellowship with the brethren that I so love. Charles Spurgeon 
said this, and it's about the unlovable. And it's about those that are, are, are maybe non-forgiving and, and undeserving or, or difficult peoples in our lives. But Spurgeon wrote this. He says, do you love them for Christ's sake? Do you say to yourself that this, one of, that, that this is one of Christ's people? That is one who bears Christ's cross? That is one of the children of God? Therefore I love him and take delight in his company? Then that is an evidence that you are not of the world. See, the world is the one that divides and separates. The world is the place of chaos. Christ speaks of unity. And where there's not unity, Satan is at work. Can the brethren be a unity? I say we can. I say we can. If we all do our part and we all keep our eyes on Christ, I say that we can. Because Christian is being more than saying, I'm a Christian. I can walk anywhere. I can walk in a gas station and say, I'm a mechanic. I'm not a mechanic. I can undo a bolt. I can put on a fan belt. I'm not a mechanic. I can go to the hospital and say, I'm a doctor. I'm not a doctor. What do you mean I'm not a doctor? I just told you I'm a doctor. Have you gone through schooling? Have you the right credentials? Jesus says we need credentials. The credentials is our son, his son, the advocate, who stands before us and says, I have made this one clean. He has put his faith and his trust in me. And I've washed and taken care of his sins. We're not just Christians because we say because there are some who claim to be Christians who are not. We need to come to that realization. We're not the judge of the soul or the heart. God is that. But we need to understand that. That's just sort of a fact of life. And so we continue to show the characteristics of Christ and how we should live as Christians, Christ followers, because that's what a Christian is. John's reply really through this gospel so far has been simple and consistent. He says there's three tests to measure the proof of genuine Christianity. Well, one he tells us is that his spirit testifies with our spirit, and I think that that's the greatest one. But the other one is the truth test. Do we walk in the truth? He started out, what? If you profess to be a Christian and you say you're walking in light but walk in darkness, he says you're a liar. You failed the truth test. The second is the love test. Do you love your brother? Do you love others? Do you love the, the, the things that God has told us to love? You know, it's said of the world that we love things and not people. Right? There's people more concerned about waxing their car than sharing the gospel with their neighbor. We love things and not people. That's all wrong. We're to love people. Or No, how does it say? We, we love things. We use things. We love things and use people. That's how it goes. That's wrong. We should use things and love people. But in our mindset sometimes, we use people. So we're not to have that in our life. So the love test, do we love it? And then the moral test, are you living righteous? Not by our own power, not by our own efforts, but through the power of Christ in us. You know, he has given us a power. When I started today, I said, in the name of Jesus, all things are possible. There's power in the name of Jesus. And so when you come up against these things, we have the name of Jesus that we can rely upon. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life that we can rely upon. Does it mean we're going to be perfect in our, our every pursuit? No, but it doesn't mean that we don't pursue that. We pursue that. And when we fall down, it's like riding a bike. We pick ourselves up. We dust ourselves off. We get back on that bike and say, here I come again. 
And time after time after time, we don't give up because in God's timing, he will do things. In God's timing. So we just get on the bike and go. We just keep following him where he leads us. The moral test is to live right. To live righteous in love and in truth. If we believe what the Bible says is true. It's not a smorgasbord. We don't pick through it. If we believe what the Bible says is true. And if we show a love of Jesus to others. Not a fake love. A genuine love. You know, sometimes I need to pray, Lord, give me compassion for this person. Give me a love for this person because I'm struggling with it. That's my emotions. That's my feelings sometimes. I get my feathers ruffled. I get my, my feelings hurt or something happens. But I know it's not right when I'm in that state. And so I pray to the Lord, Lord, in the name of Jesus, give me the wisdom. In the name of Jesus, give me the compassion I need. In the name of Jesus, give me the, the, the patience that I need to see this thing through. Because, Lord, I want you glorified in all that I do. It's easy sometimes for us to spew out words. And you know when those words go out, we can never take them back. They're there. Does it bring glory to God? Oh. We're here to bring glory to God and the things that he's called us to do. Then, we have that assurance of salvation, knowing that we are following him, walking in his way, living righteously, and loving the way that he has called us to do. Do you have that in your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for your word. Your word is tremendous. Your word is, is life for the dead. It is hope for the living. And in Lord, it is filled with promises for those that are your children. And Lord, it gives us the wisdom and strength that we need to face every situation day by day. I love that example of, of the two-headed deer, that sometimes we just look for the spoils of victory. I want to be right at any cost. I need my way, regardless. But that smell stays with us. Lord, your word says that our sacrifices to you when done righteously and in love are a sweet-smelling aroma. Lord, help our lives to be such a thing. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.